Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to bring our special guest today, Brian P. Moran. Let me tell you just a little bit about Brian before we get started here. Now, Brian, many of you may recognize the name from his book, The 12-Week Year, but Brian is a New York Times bestselling author. He's an executive, entrepreneur, and coach. His background as a corporate executive, combined with his experience as an entrepreneur, positions him as a unique skill set, or with a unique skill set, I should say, to help individuals and organizations grow and prosper. Brian is a recognized expert in the field of leadership and execution. His realization that most people don't lack ideas, but struggle with effective inflammation led him to the development of the book titled The 12-Week Year. In addition to his books, Brian has been published in many of the leading business journals and magazines. He is a sought-after speaker, educating and inspiring thousands each year. His client list includes Allstate, Century 21, Mass Mutual, Medonics, Paycor, Prudential, Tiffany, and many, many more. Brian is married to Judy and has two daughters. They live in, I love this, Carefree, Arizona. Brian, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway. You ready for this? I am. I am. Excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. Been looking forward to this conversation for a while since our mutual friend Aaron Walker introduced us. And I really appreciate you taking time to be here. I've given our listeners a brief overview of kind of who you are and a little bit of your accolades there for anyone that doesn't already know who you are. But can you just kind of take us back and just share maybe even the Cliff Notes version of go back as far as you want to go of how you kind of got to where you are today? Yeah, happy to. You know, I started out uh, paying my way through college working at UPS and I was running the reload in the evening and they had offered to promote me to supervise the reload, but I was getting a degree in physiology to be a strength coach. So initially I thought, why would I want to do that? But, you know, I thought about it. I thought, hey, you never know where to go. So I took the job and from there, really, I had a manager that was, my boss was really awesome and really got excited about the whole business side of things. I had never even considered business as a career. And they offered me a promotion from there, but I wanted to move to California. I turned it down, moved to California, got in with PepsiCo, got promoted a couple of times. I remember my regional VP gave me a book called The One Minute Manager. This goes back a few years. And I, I read that book, started to apply some of the things. And then somewhere in there, I just became a student of leadership and started reading and applying and then joined a consulting firm, was vice president of sales for a billion dollar company, and then went out on my own. And then working with clients... Alan, you know, really trying to figure out, hey, what do they need? And, and like most, I thought, hey, well, they need new techniques, new ideas. To, I found out is they got plenty of ideas. What they need to do is learn to implement, learn to execute. And so today, fast forward to today, everything we do is designed to help our clients accomplish more in less time through more effective execution. I love that so much. So when did the book, the 12-week year, even come into the realm of possibilities of writing? How far back did that even the, the seed of that book come along. Yeah, it's interesting because I was thinking about writing a book and then we were, we were headed off to a conference. I say we, Michael and I, headed off to a conference where we were a vendor and it was in financial services and it was a leader conference. And we were thinking about, you know, what's shiny stuff are we going to hand out at our booth? And I remember saying to Michael, hey, let's write a short format book. Let's just leave out all the fluff. 
And so we agreed to do that. And so we had 12 weeks before the event. And so we wrote the precursor of the 12 week year. It was called uh, Periodization 12 Weeks to Breakthrough. And Alan, we went down to Kinko's to self publish, <laughs> right? And the big thing was do we print 50, do we print 100? We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't want to bring them home, but we rolled the dice and we printed 100. We took them to the show and sold them for like 10 bucks each, right? Gave a few away. And, anyways, within the next six months to a year or so, we sold like 100,000 copies of that book. Wow. It literally changed our business, changed our lives in 12 weeks. So we used the 12-week year to write the 12-week year to tell others about the story. And then a number of years later, Wiley, a big publisher out of New York, came along, was interested in publishing it. And so we got a, a chance to expand it a little bit. But that's, that's how I'm here today with you is that that 12-week period changed everything for us. I love that story. And how many years ago was that, by the way, Brian, just to give some context to that first version? I don't, of- I don't know. <laughs> it, was at, yeah. it was at least 20 years ago. It's been a while. Yeah. Wow. So the whole premise of the book, obviously, for anyone that has not read it, obviously, you need to go buy yourself a copy and you need to read the 12-week year. But let's dive into just kind of the premise of the book is getting more done. And you said it already, and I'll probably butcher your tagline, but getting more done in less time, right? Yeah, really accomplishing more in 12 weeks than most do in 12 months. Exactly. Can you just give yeah. us the kind of the Cliff Notes version of, of the kind of the philosophy behind that? Because like you already said, people don't need another tool oftentimes or another thing to do. They need to implement what they already know. They probably have enough knowledge. They just lack the execution, I think is similar to what you said. But can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. But that that's right, right? I mean, if we just did more of what we know, we'd be healthier. We'd have better relationships. We'd make a lot more money. And yet, what are people doing? They're chasing new ideas, new techniques. So they're building potential and capacity that they never actualize. And so we started to focus on what it takes to execute at a high level. You know, we were working with a set of disciplines and principles and figuring out what worked and what didn't work. And Alan, we were getting good results, but we didn't get what we felt we were capable of or our clients were capable of. And the realization that came to us, the aha moment was this notion that we're working in this annual environment. So we're doing probably what most of your listeners do. We set annual goals, built plans, broke them down quarterly and monthly, in some cases weekly. But again, we weren't feeling like we were getting what we were capable of. And we realized that one of the barriers was that annual cycle, that 12-month cycle, in that it's just easy to put things off. So January, everybody's excited. We get to the end of January like we are when we're taping this. Most people are behind. (laughs) Right. But nobody's worried. Nobody's really concerned. Why is that? Because their mindset says, well, I got plenty of time to catch up. And that was the barrier we realized we had to overcome. And so we took this athletic training process called periodization and moved it beyond athletics to work in a business setting and a personal setting. So our clients work in the context of every 12 weeks as a year. And there aren't four of those in the year. That's annualized thinking. There's just this 12-week year followed by the next. And then we bundled that with the fundamentals that drive high performance, a set of disciplines, a set of principles. And what happens in that is, is that there's this healthy sense of urgency in a 12-week year that you just don't get in an annual cycle. And so more of the critical stuff gets done day in, day out, week in, week out. And in 12 short weeks, it can make a profound difference in terms of the results. So good. And would you say this? these are principles that can apply not only in business, but in our personal lives, in our health goals, in our relationships, spiritually, or is it just limited to business? No, anywhere you want to improve. In fact, most of our clients use it in their personal life as well as their career or business. And you've got a job where you answer the phone, 
and you know, there's no way to get better at answering the phone, then you don't need a 12 week year. But you know, outside of that, something like that, if you've got, you're building a career, you're building a business, you're starting a business, you want to grow spiritually, you want to build relationships, you want to get in shape, all of that, the 12 week year drives phenomenally well. I love it. I don't know if you've been asked this before, but is there a simple example you might be able to give us in any one of those life categories that a listener could just wrap their head around it actually applied in, in someone's life? Sure. I'll give you a couple. So with Michael, my business partner, he used it to lose 50 pounds in 12 weeks. That's pretty significant, right? Changed his energy, changed, changed his world. Eric Swift. Eric reached out to us. And when Eric found the 12-week year, he was almost nine years into a PhD program. The program was supposed to end at seven years. He asked for an extension. He asked for an extension twice. And he had 13 weeks left, he said. And what happened was, is everyone in his life was telling him just to give up on it. He felt like a loser. He felt like he let his family down. Even the people, the professors on the committee were like, look, you can't get this done now. You've got two chapters written. You haven't done the research. There's no shame in just walking away. This just didn't work for you. And he came across the 12 week year and he thought, what the hell, you know? And so he, he put his plan together and within 12 weeks, finished the research, finished the paper, presented it, ended up getting his PhD. He did in 12 weeks what he couldn't do in nine years. Wow. And then we've got thousands of other examples with small companies to major multi-billion dollar companies. I love that. What do you say to somebody that says, well, how do you keep the quote unquote life balance, or how do you keep from wrecking another area of your life if if you're going to compress a year's worth of work, let's say, into 12 weeks? Yeah. Great question. So part of that is that's the wrong mindset. We're not, the 12-week year is about taking everything you do in 12 months and squeezing it into 12 weeks. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's really determining what matters most, the critical few, and being more consistent with those. Because not everything's important. And the whole notion of life balance is a misnomer. It, I think it leads you to believe you're going to spend equal time in equal areas. And even, even if you could, it's not going to create the life you want. So we talk about intentional imbalance, right? Being intentional about where you're spending your time and where you're not. And so one of the things the 12-week year does is you pick a few areas to focus on. So you're not diffused. You're not overwhelmed. And then we commit to that and we work hard on it. And at the end of that, we celebrate it. We rest, we rejuvenate, and we do it again. So the process really is looking at all the areas of your life and saying, okay, what do I want to work on this, 12, this next 12 weeks? What are the critical areas? So you're not compromising one area for another. But there are seasons in life, right? When you have young kids, that's different than when you have grown children. When you're starting a business, that's a different season than if you've got a mature business. And same thing, if you're overweight and you're brand new to, to working out, that's a different season than you're in shape and you're just maintaining it. So that's part of the, the notion of intentional imbalance is recognizing the seasons you're in, being intentional about where you're going to spend your time and how much time you're going to allocate so that work doesn't consume your life or the opposite, right? I mean, we're pretty holistic in our approach because if your personal life is great and your work life is terrible, that's no good. If your work life is great, but your personal life sucks, that's not good either. So it's a really a holistic approach about what's, what's important this 12 weeks. I love that so much, Brian. And I love the term that you use, the intentional imbalance. I've never used that term personally before, but I've talked a lot about some of the points you just made that life is not about equal time and equal areas and this whole idea of life balance. And you, you right. mentioned children in different seasons. That's exactly it. I mean, I've used the, the example and we've had six children, my wife and I, 31 years into our marriage now. And 
Nice. When you have a newborn, life isn't balanced as far as sleep and other things, right? You go, it's just a season. Right. right. So I love that. I love you sharing that. I know your book is is a raving success. And I, I mean, I have people recommend it to me all the time. I mean, I've read it. It's great. Quite a while ago, but you know, I still get recommendations for it and I love it. How many copies have you sold of that now? We're close to a million copies. It's in 15 languages and yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. That is crazy. Just a blessing for us. It is. And what, what is the statistic? I'm trying to remember. It's something like a very small percent. Is it less than 5% of all authors ever sell 5,000 copies? Is it something like that? I forget. Yeah. Some of our listeners, they may not realize how significant nearly a million copies is. Yeah, it's, it's pretty significant. The other anomaly we have that our publisher tells us is every year we sell more books. Usually a book peaks at like 18 months or 24 months. Wow. Um, and our book keeps selling more and more, which is great. It, it's still a lot of people have never heard of us. So we're trying to spread the word. I appreciate you spreading the word for us. Absolutely. I love spreading the word of something I believe in. And I believe in your book and the principles contained in it wholeheartedly. In fact, recommended it to my team. We've done book studies on it and it's been great and and helpful, Good. not just enjoyable. You've obviously had a ton of success, Brian. What would you say is one of the keys to your success that maybe our listeners can have take something away from? Where my head goes is it takes anything worthwhile in life takes effort. And I think you have to sacrifice to be great. I don't think you have to sacrifice your integrity, your health, your family, your sanity, but you're going to have to sacrifice your comfort. You're going to have to do things you haven't done before, which means there's a level of discomfort there. And I, I feel like I learned really early on to lean into that, not to shy away from it. And that's in my relationships, in my spiritual walk, in my businesses. I mean, that has really served me well. So doing hard things, doing things you may not feel like doing. Yeah, doing hard things and, and doing things that are uncomfortable. Being willing to try things, knowing some of them are going to work, some of them aren't going to work. But it's, it's a reframing of failure, right? The quickest way to succeed is fail faster. But most people fail once and they're, they're devastated by it. It's, it's learning is all it is. And so if you reframe that, it's how you think about, you know, 90% of life, Alan, is between your ears. And so how you think about failure and going out and what's going to work and what's not going to work really matters. And so, you know, having the mindset that, look, I, if it doesn't work the way I want, it's learning. And so holding that lightly, being curious and going back at it time and time again is I think how you succeed. Most overnight successes were not overnight. You don't hear about all the, all the buildup before that. Yes. But it's rare. If it's an overnight thing, a true overnight thing, there was some, there was some luck involved. But for the majority of folks that are successful, it was, it was some heavy lifting along the way consistently. Yeah. And I would even argue that I'm sure you'd agree the ones that truly are overnight successes, their odds of sustaining that success is probably fairly low because they probably haven't gone through the failures and the challenges and the trials and had the character development and the lessons learned along the way and all those things that would allow someone to sustain that level of success. I, I love that overnight success. As I heard someone say, you know, it took me 30 years to become an overnight success. Yeah, there you go. To your point. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Your point is proven by the lottery winners. So many of the lottery winners are broke five, six years later because they never learned how to really handle the money. Exactly. And I love that too, viewing everything as either a win or a learn, you know, if it's a failure, it's a lesson learned. If it's, you know, just viewing life that way, I love that you said it because that's, that's what successful people do. And that's what you've obviously done. And uh, that's what we all should strive to do on your road to success. 
Was it always easy? Have you had any substantial challenges? And I asked this question just to encourage our listeners, because I think I know the answer for anybody that's lived any length of time. Yeah. What, what are one or more of some of the harder things you've had to endure and overcome on your road to having the success that you've had? I don't have any, Alan. It was a piece of cake, man. It was so easy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Some know, people there, think that. That's why I ask. Yeah. There have been so many. I'll give you probably one of the biggest ones is when that recession hit in, what was it, 2009, Michael and I were working with big clients, like seven-figure projects, and we were a small group. So we, we had a handful of them, had a couple in the pipeline. But when that recession hit, all of them stopped work. They all put it on hold. And so going out and selling more of those, that selling cycle was about 18 months. And so what happened was we literally lost everything, everything. I remember when they come and took my car, it was the middle of the night, how that felt, how humiliating that was. And you think about it, Alan, what I do, I help other people succeed and I'm losing my, my stuff. It's like a gold medal swimmer drowning in the bathtub or something like that. Lost my house. My friend had to come over and write a check for my healthcare just so we'd have healthcare. We literally lost everything. And if that wasn't bad enough, I owed the IRS 120 grand. So that was, and so we had, we had some tough choices. And, and I remember a lot of my friends and whatnot were saying, look, you need to just go get a job. Just go get an executive position somewhere. Well, a couple of issues with that. One is everyone was looking for those jobs because times were slow, right? Things were, things were not going well. Two, it's a full-time job to get a job. Right. And so, you know, prayed a lot about it, talked a lot about it. And, and Michael and I decided, you know, my business partner, Michael and I decided with our wives that our best opportunity was to just rebuild the company in a different way. That that would, the future of that created more opportunity for us than anything else we could do. So we used the 12 week year to pivot and literally re-engineer our business, everything about it. And within about 18 months, my personal income was higher than it had ever been. But it was not fun. I mean, we, it was rough and I don't wish that on anyone, you know, but it's, it's one of those things that for us, we're faith-based. The faith carried us through and, you know, we decided the path and then we worked hard on it. Yeah. And you had definitely had a choice. I mean, you had a choice to, to fight or, or not fight to, to play the victim or to be the victor. And it's, it's a right. phenomenal right. story to say you've lost it all in 2009 and 18 months later, you were further off, better off financially than you were 18 months previously. Incredible. But I'm sure there were some times in there where you were, you know, your mind probably went all different directions. How did you kind of work through that in your mind as far as any negative voices? And I'm sure not, I don't have to ask if there were, I'm sure there were negative voices and challenges you had to work through internally. Like, how did you work through that? How did you come out on the other side and say, no, we're doing this and we're going to do it big? Yeah. A couple of things for me. I mentioned I'm, I'm, you know, I'm faith-based. So that was a big piece of it. That was, you know, a lot of prayer, a lot of talking to God, a lot of talking to people that, you know, would encourage me. I remember talking to a guy I worked for years ago. He was actually my boss, uh, Paul Dinkins, great guy. I remember calling Paul and it was like in those moments, I couldn't even dream about a future of prosperity because it was so day to day, minute to minute. And, and Paul said, listen, you can't stop dreaming. You can't ever stop dreaming. And I don't know if he even knows he gave me that advice, but it was such great advice in the moment. And I had a number of people in my life like that. You know, there's a lot of people that 
kind of pile on and 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 hope you go down but but right. you want to you want to go to the people that you know that are going to encourage you and not have you shrink from that but use the situation to bring out the best in you and step up to a whole nother level and so again for me it was faith and then i was blessed with good friends incredible incredible so important to have people around us that are going to be speaking life and right, encouragement right. and positivity into us. The other thing about that, Alan, is, is when you start to act on it, though, now it becomes self-reinforcing. So that contributed to as much as the other people sort of sewn into me, because if I'm not doing anything, all of that sort of, right, it feels, it's hard to believe it. But when you start to act on it and you start to take action, so that was us building the plan, starting to work the plan in combination with those other things that we're like, yeah, we can, we can make this work. So good. Yeah. There's, cause there's plenty of people that do, that don't have that in their life, people speaking into their life, but there's also plenty of people that are hearing great advice, whether they read your book or they got it from a friend or a mastermind or wherever they're getting it. And they're just not implementing they're just not executing. So yeah, they put that book down, they read another one because they're discouraged again. And it's, and it's like, no, 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 just take something from that and go act on it. Yeah. That's what changes your mindset is the action more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, this is really overstated, but I tell people in my business, hey, action cures all problems. All problems in the context of business, <laughs> not personal <laughs> problems maybe, but but I mean, you know, it, you take action and, and that's how you fail and that's how you learn and that's how you move forward and you make adjustments, but to sit there and learn and learn and learn and learn and never do, not, that that's not where learning truly takes place. It takes place in the doing, right? Right, right. Well, it, and that's the place where it creates value. Yeah. You know, knowing it, knowing it's worthless unless you act on it. Right. Exactly. What advice would you give to someone else who's in the middle of their 2009? And maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a health scenario, maybe it's something totally different than what you went through, or maybe it is business struggling. Yeah. I would say connect with a long term vision that's motivating to you and then build a, build a short term plan, build a 12 week plan about something that you, you know, that. The plan itself should have actions in that that are going to help take you on that path. So, so if you're really in trouble, you need to triage. What can I, how can I improve my situation in the next four weeks? I was coaching a lady who was in financial mess, right? And so it's like, okay, we got this longer term vision of what we want it to look like over the next 12 weeks. So we broke it into four week segments. So in this first four weeks, kind of triage, how can we really cut expenses? Because that's the easiest way, right? The next four weeks was about how do we begin to build revenue? and more income. And then, so, so, you know, think about, but have a vision and then build a short-term plan that 12 weeks from now puts you in a different position and figure out what are the critical few actions, not everything you can do, because you're going to overwhelm yourself and you're already stressed. So you don't pile on, you keep it very streamlined and then you just work those actions. I love that advice so much, Brian. That's golden. So good. By the way, you had mentioned something about not on the show, but uh, earlier in our communication about being a cancer survivor. Is that you personally or a, a member of your family? Yeah, both, both my wife and I. Wow. Yeah, that was challenging. Was that re in recent years or what was that? What, what's the story there? That was a few years back now. We, we've been blessed. So the first one was, was Judy and you know, it was shocking. She called me on the phone. I was in St. Paul, Minnesota. For business, she called me on the phone and said the biopsy came back. I have breast cancer, and you know it was like someone knocked the wind out of me. Oh yeah, she had no family history of it, no inkling this was coming on. You know, and we didn't, Alan. We didn't know how much time we would get. We didn't know if we were going to get a month or six months or what we were going to get. And 
And so we committed to being present, to being with each other, which wasn't always easy to do. And, and for me, the tendency would be to escape all of that by mentally living into the future beyond the surgery, beyond the chemo, beyond the five years. And, and I learned in that, that even in difficult times, there's blessing if you're willing to stand in it. It's not always easy, but being present as best you can. And, and like I said, we've been blessed. We have two beautiful children. We're both cancer free. And, but how you go through it matters. <laughs> yeah. You know, and again, because we're faith-based, that played a big role in that for us. Yeah. And I love you sharing that, Brian, too, just the, that it matters how we go through it. I think about that often. We've been through plenty of life's hard challenges, and that's what thus the name of the podcast in my book. But cancer, that's hit our family. I got the same notice about our 14-year-old daughter being diagnosed with cancer. And that was, she's 20, almost nine, I guess now. So can cancer free. So it's a happy ending. But man, I know what it's like to get that news as a father, not as a husband, but as a father. And it's not fun. But so we've been through a lot of things as well. One of the things that really encourages me is something you just said, I just wanted to highlight is that I know that it's in the middle of that storm. It's in the middle of that challenge. Not only do I have an opportunity, even though I may not want it (laughs) at the time, an opportunity to grow and learn and have an experience to encourage others in the future or whatever. But that's when people are looking at me most, my children, my spouse you know, coworkers, whoever, employees, friends, neighbors, and that's our time to shine. I mean, especially, you know, for me as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, I'm like, that's, I mean, it's easy to have a great attitude when things are going good. Let's see how you do, Alan, when things aren't going great, you know, and it's not easy when things aren't going great, but I always remember that and it helps. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing that helps is recognizing you don't control the outcomes. Yeah. Whether that's your goal or whether that's one of the things you're battling, like cancer, you don't control the outcomes. All you control are the actions, the things you can do. And so putting your focus on what you can control versus what you can't makes a big difference. Such great advice, Brent. How do you view those past challenges now, the cancer, the 2009 financial situation? Yeah, all of that helps to shape who you are. And and I think as you go through challenges in life, it equips you to minister to other people doing going through the same or something similar. Like my corporate career was, was pretty straight up. I just kept getting promoted, kept getting better and better and better. When I went out on my own, it was completely different. And so, you know, those struggles have helped shape who I am, give me more empathy for other people that have struggled and maybe struggling as well as understanding what it takes to get through them. Like you said, anybody, anybody can look like a hero when things are going great. It's when times are tough, how do you show up? And to me, that's what makes life truly successful or not is how do you show up and are you the same person in those difficult times as you are when times are, are really easy and good i love that if you know in what you know now which is a lot more than we all knew when we were younger and you could pick one thing to tell your younger self just a word of wisdom a word of advice what would one of those things be alan i think early on i was concerned about what other people thought of me and not that that's a bad thing but probably overly concerned and and i would say don't worry about that. Don't try and please others, right? And I'm not saying being selfish, but I'm saying it's not a competition. I think when you start to compare yourself to others, there's always someone that's better in some area. I think it's really about what are you capable of and how do you bring out the best in you? And so that mindset I had earlier of that competitiveness made it where I was hungry to learn, but I don't think I learned from the people that maybe I saw as competitors and I could have learned a lot from them. That's really good. On that, you just thought of another question I was writing down as you were talking about comparing yourself to others. I hear people say, 
don't compare yourself to others. And I definitely compared myself to others where it discouraged me and it was a bad thing. So I understand why they say that. I also have been inspired comparing myself to others of what's possible. Can you relate with that? Like, how, how do you articulate that? Like, is it a good thing to compare yourself to others? Is it a bad thing to compare yourself to others? Or does it depend on how you compare yourself to others? Yeah, I think it's probably the latter, as you know, asking the question, right? I mean, if you're, if you're looking to others for inspiration and what's possible, that's different than me saying, I've got to be better than them. Because when you compare in a way that I got to be better than them, I got to beat them, I'm less valuable in the world or to myself because I don't see myself where they're performing, that's when it's really unhealthy. Looking at what people have done, especially in your field, we work with a lot of financial advisors, real estate agents. Hey, that, that's good to look around at what other people are doing because if they can do it, guess what you can? And you know, direct sales have helped thousands of people doing that. They take someone who looks just like you, parade them up on stage, and they talk about their success. And you hear that enough and you go, finally, you go, well, if they can do it, why can't I do it? Right. And so I think that type of comparison, I don't think of that so much as comparison, but, but I guess it is. That, that's healthy. It's the comparison when when I'm jealous, when I'm, uh, that makes me envious, that makes me try and do stuff that is going to put me ahead of them. Or to me, that's unproductive. Yeah. It's frustrating. That, that's how I kind of, you, you did a great job. I loved your answer. And that's kind of, for me, I wanted to hear your answer because it, it just helps me even process what I think I think and what I think. Yeah. I think. Um, because that's something I still kind of am trying to fine tune in my own mind. But for me, I've just kind of boiled it down to if it's making me feel really bad and it's making me stressed and it's making me feel like you said less than and all the negative things, then it's not a good healthy thing. If it's inspiring right. me and motivating me and giving me hope, then obviously it's a good thing, right? Yeah. I love yeah. that. And I also, but I, back to your point and your answer to my question is what word of advice would you like to give your younger self? I love that answer is that, you know, just stop worrying about what other people think. It took me a while and I still... I still struggle with it today. I still fall into worrying about what other people think. And I have to keep remembering, Alan, they're really not thinking about you. They're too busy worrying about what other people think about them. And that's, that's the reality true. of it, you know, but we've got to remember that. Yeah. I think the problem with that though, is it keeps you from, from stepping out and taking risks because you're worried you may fail. And what are other people going to think? Who gives a rip? Exactly. Right? Just, just keep moving. Just keep moving. Try the next thing. Try the next thing. I love that advice. I, I want to ask you just some kind of in rapid fire, 30 second type quick questions, Brian, if we could maybe start off with a success quote. Do you have a quote, favorite success quote for entrepreneurs or for anyone for that matter that you is one of your favorite? There's a lot of quotes that I go with. There's a verse in Luke that says too much is given, much is expected. Yeah. And so that's a reminder of me to serve and to, and to make other people's lives better. But there's, you know, Winston Churchill said the empires of the future, are the empires of the mind. That's all about envisioning life first and, and you become what you think about. Earl Nightingale said that years ago. There's a lot of quotes like that that I don't necessarily have a favorite, but those are a couple that stick out for me. Yeah, those are great ones. I love that. I love you sharing that. What is one habit that you can look back on or currently you can look at right now and go, hey, this is something that has been a key factor in my success that maybe we can all learn from? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Alan, because Michael and I did a whole 90-minute workshop on habits versus routines, and, and people are led to believe that you can turn anything into a habit. I don't believe that. I think if you look at the definition of habits, it's things that are habitual. 
right? If anything is difficult for you to do either emotionally or physically, it's never going to be a habit. It's going to be a routine. And I think what makes people successful is not their habits, it's their routines. So, you know, one of the routines I have that's blessed my life enormously is, you know, how I start the day and how I end the day, right? I start with positivity. I think about what I'm grateful for. I start with some prayer and I think about what I'm grateful for. I end the day same way with what I'm grateful for so that I'm always building off of that. I'm always reminding myself that no matter what's happening, there's something in your life to be grateful for. And and that's a routine I've developed that served me well most of my life. So good. So good. And it's something very common among high achievers like yourself. It's rare to meet one that doesn't have an attitude of gratitude and some kind of practice around that in my experience. Right. right. So good. I, I think it's like a farmer's field, right? If, you, if, if a farmer just lets the field go, go, it doesn't produce a bumper crop. It produces weeds. And it's the same with your mind. There's just so many things in the environment that are trying to poison your your thought life and and take you down the wrong road that if you're not intentional about what you're feeding it, then you're not nearly as productive, nearly as joyous, nearly as successful as you can be. Yeah. So good. What is one of the better pieces of advice that maybe you can think of that somebody has given you over the years? Yeah. You know, there was a gentleman I worked for, we were a billion dollar retailer. He and his brother owned it and they owned some high rise buildings in Chicago, he owned an island in Florida. I mean, big, big money guy. And I remember his name was Jules. And I remember asking him, I said, Jules, I asked him that question. If you had to pick one characteristic that you think has contributed to your success the most, what is it? And he said, he thought about it for a minute. He said, you know, Brian, I recover well. He says, everybody gets knocked down. I recover well because I expect to get knocked down. Not that I'm hoping for it, but I'm not surprised by it. And so that advice has stuck with me. I don't know, that was 20 some years ago. But the notion that you're going to get knocked down, don't be surprised by it get up faster and get moving. Golden. I love it. You couldn't have said something that made me smile more. And it's just right in line with my mantra, my podcast, my book and everything I'm all about, because, you know, expecting it, understanding the next wave's coming, the next challenge is coming. It's, I don't know if I want to say it's half the battle, but to get blindsided by it, thinking life is going to be easy. I wouldn't want to be that guy. I was that guy. I did think that I could get to a place of utopia and, and that life would be smooth and easy. And that's just not reality, is it? No, there was a really wise guy about 2000 years ago said, you will have trials. <laughs> yes, he did. And, and you will. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. John 16, 33. I know that guy and I know that passage very well. First of all, I've said it before. I want to say it again. The 12 week year, if you all have not heard, read the book or heard the book, if you've not read the book, you've got to go get it for sure. It's one of my top, top, top recommendations. And I'm not just saying that because you're on the show, Brian. It is one of the best books I have ever sure. read. So by far, that is that is the thing that needs to happen here if, if someone does not own that book. But in addition to the 12-week year, is there another book that you might recommend for the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience? Yeah, one of my favorites, and it was out of print for years. I think it's back in print is by Dr. Susan Jeffers, and it's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways. And she researched successful people and compared them to people that didn't have a lot of success in their life by different measures. And she found that overall, successful people were just as concerned and, and fearful about doing new things as people who weren't. The only difference was they didn't let it stop them. They did it anyways. And she talks about five truths about fears and things like that. So it's really practical in, in terms of helping you get your head around what it takes to kind of lean into that as opposed to shy away from it. 
That's good. I love that. I've not read that book, and now I'm going to have to go look that one yeah, up. Yeah, great book. It's a little pamphlet book. It's quick read, but really good stuff in there. Love it. And I think that's empowering to people, what you said, to realize that everybody has fear and, and that successful people have just as much. I, I don't know about that. I could see that for, for sure, but they're hitting that courage button, hitting that courage button, hitting that courage button. And I think that's the, the big difference, right, between those that yeah. have success and those that don't. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved John Wayne, the old cowboy said, you know, courage is being scared to death to saddle up, but doing it anyways. Mm. And that's, that's kind of the way life is. Yeah. You either live life with courage or you shrink away from it, which is not a, you you know, you're not only hurting yourself, but you're robbing the world of the contributions you could make in your family and future generations. Yeah, absolutely. What is Brian Moran's definition of success? Do you ever think much about that? Like what, how you define success? Well, yeah, as a believer, this won't surprise you. It's, it's really, you know, living for the glory of God and glorifying God. You know, if I think about a secular definition, it's more of kind of living my life on my terms, right? Living the life I want to live, living the life I'm capable of living, not being a victim to, well, I've got this job and I can't go find something else or I'm too old or too young or whatever it is. Just really live in your capability. Yeah, I love that. I know you have ownership in various companies. You have your coaching and speaking and your books and all the things. I don't know if it's any one of those things or something altogether different. So I'm just curious, like what excites you right now? What is one of the top of mind things exciting you right now when you think about the future and the days ahead? Yeah, I'm excited about a lot of stuff, right? I'm, I'm excited about the businesses I'm in and what we're doing there. You know, in this particular business, I'm super excited about what we're doing with our accelerator training. And we've got a ton of, um, of experience with leadership. And so we're launching an accelerator for leaders. And those things are, you know, we've got thousands of people already gone through it. It's, it's making a difference, having an impact. You know, that's our mission to change lives. Dream big, serve others, do great work. And so that's what we're always doing here, thinking about that, thinking about, you know, what's the, where can we have a bigger impact and make a bigger difference? I love it. What is the best way for our listeners to connect with you, find your resources, find your book? I know you've got the 12-week year workshop that they can plug into. How do they connect with all that and with you? Yeah, 12weekyear.com is where you can go, the number one, two-weekyear.com. We do, we're running a workshop next week. It's a 90-minute live workshop. It's $20, 24 cents to crush 2024, and you get a, you get a copy, hard copy of one of our books. So wow. for the price of the book, you get the workshop with it. Uh, that's on our website. Or you can go to 12weekyearworkshop.com and check it out there. But that's, that's how you find us. Love it. Great. We'll drop that down in the show notes below here. So all of our listeners, you can get access to that link below. And Brian, first of all, this has been awesome. Tons of value, tons of wisdom. I've loved it. There's no question our listeners have loved it and most importantly, gained value from it. I want to give you, though, the, the, any closing comment, any final word you might want to share with our listeners today on the way out. Here's the thought, right? There's a, a little book that Stephen Pressfield wrote called The War of Art. Yeah, The War of Art, which is a funky title. But, you know, in it, he talks about we have two lives, and I agree with him, the life we live and the life we're capable of. And so I just want to leave your listeners challenged to, to never settle for anything less than the life they're capable of. So good. I love that. Thank you so much, Brian. This has been amazing. Thank you for making time out of your busy schedule to come on here and share some of your story and wisdom with the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience, brother. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. 
If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contacts page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.